Good morning. I'd like to invite you to reach for your Bibles and remain standing in honor of the reading of God's Word. A reading from uh, the book of Luke, chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. It's found on page 1017 in your pew Bibles. Follow along as I read in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the scene and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Father God, we praise you and thank you for you are mighty and you are holy and you are righteous. And we honor you with our hearts and minds and we trust you for uh, the things that you have done for us and we praise you for that. And Father, we pray that you would be with those among us who are sick and unable to be with us. And God, I pray that you would wrap your arms, your healing arms and hands around them and guide them and guard them. And God, I pray that you would be with us today as we worship you and learn from you, from your word, for it is true and it is um, your spoken word to us. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Well, how many of you are glad 2020 is over? And it's now 2021. I know that is true for myself. And, and so with that in mind, I just want to throw out a question as we begin here this morning. And that is this. When you look down the road in this new year, the road of 2021, what do you see? Do you see more reasons to fear? Or do you see any reason for hope? I'll be honest, it's easy to submit to fear over faith. And through much of 2020, my faith conquered most fears, whether it was related to COVID or the economy or even the election. But I also admit at the same time, there were times, usually uh, when bombarded with negative news, that fear kind of crept into my heart and crowded faith out. I think that happens easier then we might think it does. And so again, as you look down the road in this new year, do you see more reasons for fear or do you see any reasons to hope? Three times we have now heard throughout this series the angel of the Lord say here in the first two chapters of Gospels, Luke, do not be afraid. And we have seen throughout this series that That phrase, that command, do not be afraid, is really God's loving invitation for us to trust Him. And God gives us, as we have seen throughout this series, several different reasons why we can, why we should trust Him as our Heavenly Father. 
God remembers to keep his promises. And we saw that he keeps those promises first and foremost in his son, Jesus Christ. We, we can trust God because the Lord is with us. And nothing is impossible with God. We can trust God because a Savior is born. And that is a Savior who brings us peace with God through our faith in Him. We are reconciled to a holy God, and that brings us inner peace. We can trust God because Jesus saves us from our sins and delivers us even from the fear of death, as we saw last Sunday. Now, here on this first Sunday of the year, I want us to look at another reason why we can trust God, another reason why we should not be afraid, why we should not live in fear. And that is Jesus is King. And his kingdom will last forever. Notice it again with me in Luke chapter 1, focusing in on verses 31 and 33, where the angel Gabriel tells Mary, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And notice what else the angel says about this Savior. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now just back up with me a a few moments here. uh, And just kind of put yourself in Mary's shoes. And have you ever tried to just, as you do that, just comprehend what she is hearing here from the angel Gabriel. These words, the angel speaks to her. I mean, Mary, after all, is just a teenager. Some scholars believe she may have been around 14 years of age. And, and we've heard this part of the Christmas story so often that it's somewhat, it's easy to forget how revolutionary these words must have sounded in the very beginning. Think about it. These words were spoken by an angel to a virgin announcing a baby who will one day rule over the whole world. And it came totally out of the blue to a teenage girl who was a virgin in Nazareth, a minor insignificant town in a remote corner of the Roman Empire. And to Mary, here an angel suddenly came and made this series of incredible announcements. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. He will rule over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And so what an earful of incredible statements that are being made by angel Gabriel to this young girl. Even now, after 2,000 years, the angel's message seems rather mind-boggling, mind-blowing. What a series of predictions he made. But I want us to focus in on the very last phrase of verse 33. The last phrase there says, Of his kingdom there will be no end. Do you realize what that means for us today, even in 2021? It means if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and King, there is absolutely no reason to fear. We have every reason to hope in this new year. And I want to explore that for a little bit this morning and show you why we have reason to hope. Number one, first of all, notice this, nothing in this world lasts forever. Nothing in this world lasts forever. In fact, when was the last time you thought about Zachary Taylor? Some of you have never even heard of him. 
And for others, it's probably been a long time since you last thought of Zachary Taylor. Well, Zachary Taylor died suddenly and somewhat mysteriously in the summer of 1850, which is why probably most of you have never heard of him. He died while serving as the 12th president of the United States. What's interesting, though, in 1991, scientists dug up his remains to confirm if he had been poisoned with arsenic by his enemies. It turns out the answer was no. He apparently died after eating, get this, some chilled cherries, cold buttermilk, and pickled cucumbers. I guess it was a deadly combination. Do you know what they found when they opened the casket? They found his hair, his bones, the outline of his brow, and his fingernails, and not much else. One newspaper said, We now know more about Zachary Taylor than we've ever known before, and more than we ever wanted to know. Another story called him the most obscure president in American history because he was succeeded by a man whose name has become sort of a running trivial pursuit joke, Millard Fillmore. Here's the oddity of it all. When he died, Zachary Taylor was actually considered to be a very, very great man. He was the hero of the Battle of Buena Vista during the Mexican War. In fact, his nickname was Old Rough and Ready. But today, Zachary Taylor is nothing more than a forgotten man, just like Robert Hawkins. (laughs) Who's Robert Hawkins, you're wondering? Well, he wrote, I'm going to be famous, in his suicide note, before going to the mall in Omaha, Nebraska, in December of 2007, where he murdered eight people and then took his own life. But he was wrong about being famous. As 13 years later, very few people remember his name. And 20 years later, only his family will remember who he was, how he lived, and how he died. Such is the nature of fame on planet Earth, even for presidents and murderers. In fact, it's said that when a Roman general came back from the great victory in a distant land, during the victory parade, as the people watched and cheered, a slave followed behind the general, whispering in his ears these words, the glory of the world is fleeting. King Solomon added these words in Ecclesiastes 9.5, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. What a sobering thought to be said of all of us here this morning. Even the memory of them is forgotten after we die. It's true for Robert Hawkins. It's true for Zachary Taylor. After 150 years, he is nothing more than the answer to a trivial question. What president died after eating chilled cherries and cold buttermilk? It's true for all human endeavors. Everything good, everything bad, everything happy, everything sad, it all passes away. All of it is fleeting. And so what a lesson for us to embrace here this morning. If you're counting on somebody remembering you after you're gone, forget it. Sooner or later, you'll be just another name on a tombstone. Let me tell you what will happen after you die. Your family will call up the funeral home, and they'll arrange a nice service for you. Some pastor will stand up and say a few nice words about you. 
And then they will bury you in the ground or they will cremate your body. And do you know what happens then? Your family and friends will get in their cars, they will go back home, and they will continue on with their lives. You may think, man, that's depressing. I came here to hear that. No, it's not depressing. That's just reality in a fallen world in which we live. And so if you're here and you're looking and searching for significance and permanence in this world, you're wasting your time. This world forgets the past and lives in the present. And all those things that we do to give ourselves this feeling of significance the degrees after our names, the houses we live in, the cars we drive, the relationships we seek, the clothes we wear, the likes we get on Facebook, or the followers we amass on Instagram. In the end, those things all amount to nothing. Why? Because nothing in this world lasts forever. Just ask Zachary Taylor and Robert Hawkins. So is there anything then on this earth that will last forever? And the answer is yes, which brings us to number two. Only God's kingdom will last forever. Only God's kingdom will last forever. In fact, I love what the writer of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 says, that God is going to establish a kingdom which cannot be shaken. But everything else that is of this world will be shaken. Listen, buildings crumble into dust. Companies go into bankruptcy. Our houses age and crumble. Our cars rust out. And worst of all, our bodies eventually wear out. But the kingdom of God lasts forever. When the angel Gabriel came to Mary, he predicted that she would give birth to a son who will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. God desires to establish a kingdom on earth that will last forever. One commentator has written this. In fact, his name's Albert Barnes. He writes, his, speaking of Jesus, his is the only kingdom that shall never have an end. He, the only king that shall never lay aside his diadem and robes, and that shall never die. He, the only king that can defend us from all our enemies, sustain us in death, and reward us in eternity. Oh, how important then to have an interest in his kingdom. And how unimportant, compared with his favor, is the favor of all the earthly monarchs. Barnes is correct. Every earthly ruler faces some limit on their rule. There may not be any legal term limit, But there is a term limit on everyone's lifespan. Even the most powerful of people come to an end. But this is not the case with Jesus Christ. No ruler will overthrow him. No monarch will outlast him. No one will be his equal. For he alone is king of kings and lord of lords. And his kingdom, we are told, will never end. So which kingdom are you living for? That's a great question to ponder and to honestly ask ourselves here at the beginning of a new year. You can live for this world or you can live for God's kingdom. The choice is yours. So here's something you may never realize before. Number three, God's kingdom gives meaning to history. 
God's kingdom actually gives meaning to history. Perhaps you've wondered once in a while, perhaps never wondered this, but where is history going? Philosophers have actually pondered that question for thousands of years. Is history, as Shakespeare wrote in Macbeth, nothing more than a tale told by an idiot? Or is history, as the English historian Edward Gibbons suggested, little more than the register of the crimes, follies, and misfortunes of mankind? Or should we simply accept the Hindu view that history is just an endless cycle of reincarnation? Or should we conclude with the cynics that life is meaningless? It's just an eternal cul-de-sac that leads to nothing at all. I would suggest no question is more important because the way that you view history is ultimately what shapes the way you view your own life. If you believe history is going nowhere, then that means your life is just a momentary blimp on the radar screen of the universe. You pop up, you fly across the screen, you disappear, never to be heard again. If history has no goal, then life has no meaning, and every person that's left are his or her own devices. It would be hard to imagine a more hopeless view of life. But from God's point of view, history is really, one way to define it, is his story. It's the unfolding record of God's redemptive purpose of the human race. In fact, the Bible teaches us that the universe has a definite beginning at a definite point in time. Genesis chapter 1. God created man with a purpose. And history is now the story of God's redemptive purpose on earth. It's the story of the Bible. The story of scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. The Old Testament prophets spoke again and again of a coming kingdom on this earth. Abraham caught a glimpse of it. Moses saw it from afar. David learned about it directly from God. And the major and minor prophets filled in the details. The Old Testament writers actually foresaw a time when God's Messiah would rule the world from David's throne in Jerusalem. The New Testament writers added two significant details. The first, the promised Messiah, we are told now, we learn, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the very Son of God. And number two, we learn that the kingdom of God will not ultimately be established until Jesus, the King, returns to the earth in person. And that is where history is going. The kingdom of God is what history is all about. It's the goal toward which everything is moving. It's the last chapter in a story that started all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Here's the Reader's Reader's Digest version of what history is all about. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he placed Adam and Eve on the earth, and he made them stewards over the whole earth. But, as you know, when they disobeyed, they surrendered their stewardship into the hands of Satan. And from that day on, the whole world has been the domain of Satan. It is still God's world by creation, but Satan has usurped God's authority. 
And he has now set up a counter kingdom to the kingdom of God. And from that day until now, the earth has been the central battlefield in a war between these two competing kingdoms. But that's not the whole story. Because once the world fell into enemy's hands, God determined to win it back at any cost. That meant sending his message through kings and prophets and priests. All through the Old Testament, we read about that. It meant raising up an entire nation through whom he would bless the earth, his own people, the children of Israel. Again, we read about that in the Old Testament. But ultimately, as the prophets prophesied, it meant that he himself had to enter into this conflict. And so God entered the human race in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. This is part of the story is where and why we celebrate Christmas. It is God's ultimate blow against Satan. When Jesus was crucified, it appeared that Satan might win just for a moment. Indeed, for 36 hours, it seemed certain that Satan himself had won, that the battle was over and God had been defeated. But then Sunday came, and with it, the empty tomb and a risen Savior. And suddenly it became clear to everyone, even to Satan, that Jesus was the victor in the great battle to reclaim the earth. Therefore, God's kingdom now gives hope to our lives. In fact, I'll just share with you three, three ways, practical ways it does that, even now for 2021 as we come out of this unique, challenging year of 2020. And so, yes, we acknowledge, as we have seen first and foremost in 2020, notice this, that we suffer pain in this world. That is true. We do not minimize that reality. That is part of living in this fallen world, a sin-filled world. But here's the deal. Jesus will reverse it in his kingdom. God tells us in Joel 2.25, he says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. And so, yes, bodies destroyed by disease, and this is where our hope is, will leap and run in perfect health. Reputations that have been ruined are restored. Wrongs are made right. J. R.R. Tolkien said, all the sad things come untrue. Now, the wording of that is a little odd to our ears. It doesn't sound right. But Tolkien didn't mean that we'll just, quote, forget all the sad things that happen to us, just that the feelings of loss and pain will be removed in God's kingdom. And so, yes, we suffer in this world right now, but there is coming a day when Jesus will reverse it in his kingdom, which leads us to number two. We also acknowledge that we have disappointment in this world. And yes, 2020 was a year filled with disappointment. But there is coming a day that Jesus will erase it in his kingdom. In Luke chapter 1 here, our our passage, the angel later on, brings up Elizabeth's barrenness. That is the mother of John the Baptist. Why Why would the angel do that? Because in that culture, for a woman to die barren, childless, represented one of the most devastating disappointments in life. And so part of the lead up to Jesus' birth is here is an elderly barren woman getting pregnant because Jesus' birth points 
us to God's promise that he will erase all of our deepest disappointments in his kingdom. In fact, John, the, the Apostle John tells us in the last book of the Bible, Revelation 21.4, that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And that's what we look forward to. That is our hope. And number three, we also acknowledge that we yearn for justice in this world. Man, 2020 has shown us that, has it not? And so while we yearn for justice in this world, we put our hope in the fact that Jesus will restore it one day in his kingdom. Listen to me. Because of sin, we live in a world that is filled with injustice. And so a lot of people ask, and rightfully so, will there ever be justice? Is there such a thing in this world? And the answer is, perfect justice will be restored when Jesus rules from the throne of David in his kingdom. Now, that doesn't mean that now we don't work for justice or towards justice. It just means that in this world, justice will always be imperfect and sometimes terribly skewed. But the angel says there's hope. The son has been born to sit on David's throne. And that is why, number four, God's kingdom cannot be defeated. God's kingdom cannot be defeated. Yes, the world is still in darkness. But all around the world, followers of Jesus have established outposts of the kingdom. What the New Testament calls churches. Meanwhile, the battle rages on between two kingdoms. Jesus on one side, Satan on the other. And in the last 20 centuries, the light of Jesus is spreading and spreading and spreading. And his light shines brightly. However, we acknowledge that at times throughout history, and even in other places throughout the world, things look darker than ever. That's the history up to the world, up to the present moment. But it is certainly not the end of the story. All over the world, followers of Jesus are praying, Thy kingdom come. And as they do, and hopefully this is true of you, they set their gaze toward the eastern sky and they wait for Jesus Christ to return and establish his kingdom on earth. Do you know what this means? It means we have a reason to hope in the new year. So have no fear in this coming year. Jesus is coming again as king. And the kingdom Jesus will establish on earth forms the goal of all human history. In fact, when Jesus comes again, he will trample Satan under his feet. He will judge the workers of evil. He will set right the wrongs in the world. And he will reign from David's throne in Jerusalem. That day has not yet come. But it will come. 
And indeed, it is coming. And although we don't know the exact time, listen to me, the signs are all around us that Jesus is coming sooner than later. Jesus himself told us in Matthew 24, 44, Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And whether Jesus returns this year or the following year or much later, know this. The kingdom Jesus will establish forms the goal of all human history. Let me just give you one example of how God's kingdom cannot ultimately be defeated. When the communists came to power in China in 1949, they expelled all the foreign missionaries, kicked them out of their land. Back then, there were estimated some 700,000 believers in Christ. And for decades, no one knew what was happening to the church in China or even if it survived. But by 1980, estimates were there were at least 10 million Christians in China. And today, they estimate that there may be as many as 100 million. In many ways, this is all part of the fulfillment of what we read in Habakkuk 2.14, where the prophet there says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The ultimate fulfillment of this verse, though, awaits the return of Christ to establish his kingdom on earth. In the meantime, in the meantime, though, listen, there is... No government power. There is no government policy on earth that can reverse what God is doing. His kingdom cannot be defeated. And that is why there is absolutely no need to fear in this new year. We, as Christ followers, as believers in Jesus Christ, we, first and foremost, as the church body, we have a reason to hope in the new year and beyond. And so as we begin this new year, let me ask you a simple question. Do you need any hope for the new year? Then trade your fears for hope. Why? Because Jesus has a kingdom. And he's building it in human hearts around the world at this time. But someday he will return And he will reign on this earth and his kingdom will never, never, never end. I believe this is what the angel had in mind when he told Mary that his kingdom will never end. Ever since then, true followers of Jesus are people who now live with hope. No matter what is going on in the world around them. Why? Because we believe that only one thing will never end. And that is the kingdom of God. And as believers in Christ, we now belong to this kingdom that will never end. And Christmas is simply a reminder that this kingdom, the kingdom of God, is available to all people. Jesus tells us that the condition for being a part of God's kingdom is what he terms as the new birth. Jesus said in John 3, 3, when he talked to Nicodemus, he told him, unless you are, what, born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And the good news is that this new birth, as Jesus refers to it, 
is available to all people. This is why Jesus was born. As Jesus goes on to say in that very same chapter to Nicodemus in John 3.16, the most famous verse in all the Bible, hey, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should, know, should, know, should not perish but have everlasting life. And so the kingdom of God, we could say, is a whosoever gospel. That is, whosoever will may come and experience the grace of God's kingdom, the grace of God's forgiveness and eternal life through his son, Jesus Christ. All of this means one thing. Everyone has a choice to make. You can choose to join yourself to the kingdoms of this world that are doomed to fail. Or you can align yourself with Jesus Christ and follow Him as your Savior and King and live. Let's pray. As you bow your heads, I want you to just contemplate that. I want you to think about your own relationship with God. Do you have one? Or is it still broken? Are you alienated from God because of your sin? And you have yet to confess your sin, admit that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, right now, in the quietness of your heart, you can do that. You can cry out to God and express your desire for Him to save you, to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. And know the peace and the hope that comes from that. Knowing that you are aligned with Jesus Christ. You are now part of His eternal kingdom forever and ever. Maybe you're here, you know you're a believer, but as you reflect back on 2020, you would have to be honest that your life was more characterized by fear than by faith. And would you cry out to God even now, God, help me to live by faith. Help me to live with the hope of Jesus Christ in this new year.